This is the new LOL podcast, and I am Karen Stewart. My goal is to challenge you, motivate, and encourage you to live your life boldly as a Christian out loud. Do me a favor. If you find anything of value, any motivation, any encouragement, help me spread the word like this. Share it on all your channels. And thanks for listening. Let's get started. I know I've said it before, but it really is true. The more I read the Bible, the more I see clearly God just does not see things in this life the way that we do. Obviously, one of us is wrong, but yeah, that goes without saying. Anyway, um, there's some parts of the Bible that are just challenging to read, at least for me, they can be. And genealogies fall into that category. And I was reading Matthew recently, and it was different this time. I'm reading through the list of generations from Abraham to Jesus, and three names kind of jump out at me. I had read this before and seen this before, but for some reason, this time it struck me. These were the people that God chose to foster the lineage of his own son when he came to the earth in human form. I'm always amazed when I think about Mary and what could that whole thing have been like for the Son of God to actually live inside of your body for nine months and be one with you? Just the thought of that can totally like twist your brain out. But before you even get to Mary, you have this whole list, 42 generations of people that were specifically chosen by God to carry the lineage of Christ. And in that list were these three names that jumped out at me. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And Salmon, to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to David was born Solomon of her who had been the wife of Uriah. Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Okay. During those times, it was very common for men to have more than one wife, so I think it's noteworthy that the genealogy includes not just the direct lineage, but their mothers, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. So Rahab is commonly known or called Rahab the harlot. And typically when you hear about Rahab, she's remembered from the story in Joshua chapter 2, where she hid the spies who went out before the battle at Jericho. And through the years, there's been a lot of debate among academics about whether or not she was actually a harlot or was she really an innkeeper. But the word used to describe her as a harlot has not only universally been translated as harlot, also in pretty much all of the versions of the Bible it says that, but there are other cross-references throughout the Bible of that same word that's translated harlot that support the fact that this girl was very likely just what the Bible calls her, a harlot, a prostitute, a trick. Okay. Then there's Ruth. You remember the story of her. There's a whole book named after her. She was a heathen girl from Moab, and she married one of the sons of an Israelite. And there was a famine in the land, so the whole family moved to Moab, Moab to try to find food, but eventually 
all the men in the family died. In those days, of course, there was really no hope for a woman to survive if she was not married. So Naomi, the mother-in-law, urged Ruth to go back to her own people. So at least she could have a chance of finding another husband. You know the story. She refused to leave her mother-in-law, ends up meeting Boaz, and she marries him. This is the same Boaz, by the way, whose mother was Rahab the prostitute. And this woman, Ruth, gave birth to Obed, who was the grandfather of David the king. Okay, stay with me now. Then there's Bathsheba. She was the wife of another man. Uriah the Hittite, who was one of David's most valiant and loyal soldiers. And of course, the story in 2 Samuel 11 tells us that David couldn't sleep one night. He's up on the roof walking around. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath and he sends for her and he sleeps with her, even though he knew that she was married and he knew who she was married to. But that's a whole nother story. And Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon, and he became king after David's death. Now, check this out. Back in those days, succession almost always passed from one generation to the next through the firstborn son. Not only was Solomon not the firstborn son of David, he was actually about the tenth, not counting the children that David had by all his concubines. And when David was getting old and senile, one of his other sons, Adonijah, who was older than Solomon, and he was about number four in line of succession. And it was believed at that time he was the oldest living son. He took it upon himself to declare himself the king. And David not only had no idea he did this, he didn't even do anything about it. So in theory, this should have been a done deal. When Adonijah declared himself king without a response from David, Adonijah would have been and should have been the king. Then there's Bathsheba. She wasn't having it. She and Nathan the prophet got together and got a plan together so they could do something about this problem. And subsequently, long story short, you should read it sometime. No, Adonijah was deposed and Solomon was named the king. Solomon, the one through whom would come the seed of Christ. And as I'm reading this very dry, boring genealogy, it suddenly dawns on me. So, Lord, of all the people and all the combinations of people you could use to preserve the holy seed of Christ, you pick a prostitute, a heathen, and an adulteress. Really? Yep, that's exactly what God did. And the thought of that just blows my mind because God does not randomly do anything and nothing that's recorded in the Bible is random either. So God decided to take the most unlikely candidates, then or now. And he says, these are the ones that I choose to fulfill the most significant event of all time. The birth of my son. That just makes me think about all the people that we ignore and dismiss routinely as unworthy to do this, this or that in the kingdom. And look at this example that God gave. Now, I personally only know and have only met, actually, two people in my entire life that have legitimately felt like they were superior to everyone else who exists on the planet. I'm sure that there are many others, but I've only met two. 
Most of us feel completely unqualified, unworthy, ill-equipped to do anything meaningful or significant in the kingdom of God. Whether that's because someone else has told you that or because of failures or mistakes that you know you've made, even if no one else knows. But here's the thing. Before we were ever born or had a chance to do anything right or wrong, it was God's desire that we would be the reflection of the image of his son in the earth and thereby be people whose very presence could and would change the world. I would bet money that none of those women had any idea during their lifetimes that they were being used by God in a way that is arguably the most significant event in history, that they were participating in something that actually would change the course of history in the world. And I submit to you that you probably have no idea how significant you and your life are in establishing God's kingdom right now on the earth. Because God just does not look at things or people the way we do. He just doesn't. And when you have surrendered your life to Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees only one thing. He sees the reflection of his son who dwells within you. He does not see inadequacy. He does not see failure. He does not see inefficiency or any other such thing. God sees the reflection of the one who lives inside of you, who has no deficiency, no weakness, and cannot be defeated. He sees one, which is you, whom he has chosen to partner with him to transform the world. That is what he sees in you. So what are you going to do with that? If we could ever truly see ourselves the way God does, there would not be any fear. There would be no hesitation and there would be no reservation. We would live our lives and walk in the total confidence that no matter where we are or what the problem is, that we are the solution because the divine solution to all problems lives inside of us. And I'm convinced that the enemy knows this, even though we don't. And this is why he spends so much time trying to convince us to agree with him about how insignificant and unimportant we are. Because if we could ever truly grasp that there is no enemy that really could ever overcome us because Christ himself has no enemies that can overcome him and we are one with him, Christ in us, the hope of glory. If we could ever grasp that, we would turn this world upside down and usher in the return of Christ and get on about spending eternity with him. Trust me, I get it. I, I really do. It seems crazy to me that God, knowing all things, he knows the end from the beginning, that he would choose us, our frailties, our feebleness, to partner with us to transform the world. I cannot say if I was God that I would have made that choice. <laughs> Thank God that I am not God, right? But it's true. Because of this divinely mystifying union between us and the Lord of glory, we already have everything that we need inside of us right now to not only defeat the enemy in our lives, but in the lives of our family, our towns, our cities, our countries, 
in our world. And I'm telling you, I'll keep telling you, the whole earth is waiting for us to show up and do that very thing right now. Let me settle the question for you once and for all. Yes, God chose you. God chose you. Wherever you are, whatever that thing is that's in your heart to do, yes, God chose you. And if you will just give him an honest and simple yes, you will see that within you all alone was all the strength, all the power, all the ability, all the courage that you have ever needed in life. When you think about it, there really isn't anything else that God could do to make us ready. I'm not saying that training and preparation is not important. Hear me, because it is, and please do that. But no matter how prepared we are, it is not us who is actually doing anything anyway. We are only just along for the ride. Our part is to stop being silent. Our part is to stop shrinking back. Our part is simple, is to live boldly, out loud.